0: Hey, good morning, One Chapel. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Man, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks for being a part of our, of course, our One Chapel family. If you're attend one of our local campuses here in the region. We're so grateful for you. Or maybe you're just jumping online and checking things out. We're really glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. Man, make yourself at home and enjoy the day today with us. Regardless of where you're coming from, we're thankful that you're here with us in this online community. Want you to have a great day with us. Listen, if you're new, do me a favor. Would you just drop a one in the comments right now? Just put, you can spell it O-N-E, you can make one. Just drop it in the comments. Let us know that you're here. Say hi. We would love to say hi to you. Come on, everybody. As one, show up in the chat. Just say hi. Welcome them. Let them know they're part of the family, and we are thrilled to have you here today. Thanks for being at One Chapel. Hey, we're going to study the scriptures together. So as we get started here, I want to tell you a story about uh, an author, a theologian, a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In 1933, Nazi power was growing in Germany, and a lot of people were concerned, right? They're concerned about the compromise of the church and cooperating with the Nazi movement, right? The church was actually cooperating with the Reich, and yes, with the Fuhrer. So obviously, we know the, there were many atrocities that came out of that time, and the church is watching this, and Bonhoeffer is watching these things happen. Bonhoeffer, he sees the weakness of a lot of the German pastors, And so what they decided to do was form a group of churches called the Confessing Church. So they sensed, we need stronger training if we're going to get through this. So in 1935, Dietrich Bonhoeffer created an underground seminary. They had a vision for intentional Christian community. People living that were committed, wholly and completely committed, to living the way of Jesus. They started in a large empty house in a little rural town called Finkenwalde. If you speak German, you can correct me later. I'm sorry if I butchered it, but I think it's Finkenwalde. And so they begin to study. They begin to study the scriptures. They begin to live life together. They lived with scripture and worship and prayer and confession and accountability. They had a vision for a new kind of disciple that would be fully faithful to Christ no matter the cost. They believed in the reign of Christ, not of the Reich. So they actually, a bunch of them too, got put to the test as the Gestapo actually arrested more than two dozen of these theologians that were studying. But Bonhoeffer's friends, many of them had questions about what they were doing. Questions about the intensity of their discipleship, the extreme level. They were saying, is this, is this level of formation really necessary, Dietrich? Aren't these people all just going to burn out anyway? I mean, aren't you doing too much? Maybe you're just being too extreme. And so one day he had a friend, a young historian named Wilhelm Niesel, and he decided to come and visit. And he was suspicious about what was going on there. So Bonhoeffer put him in a boat and took him on a rowing trip around the lake. And they went around to one of the other sounds. And as they got there, they could see a vast field and a squadron of Nazi fighters taking off and landing. They could see Nazi soldiers uh, marching around in purposeful patterns. And Bonhoeffer began to speak of a new generation of Germans that were in training. But their disciplines were forming a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And so it would be necessary to propose superior discipline if the Nazis were gonna be defeated. Bonhoeffer said, you have to be stronger than these tormentors that you see everywhere today. And what Bonhoeffer was doing was saying that they had to be stronger than what Hitler was doing with his army. Now, listen to me. Don't hear this through the lens of politics. If you do that, you'll miss the point. Both sides of the aisle are starting to think about how this relates to what they're thinking and wanting to don't do that. You will miss the point of this story. The point of this story is that our discipleship to Jesus must be stronger than our cultural formation. This is the heart of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was saying. Discipleship must be stronger than cultural formation. This has to be stronger than that. Now today, we know that the the Reich is a shameful memory. We know that Hitler is in the grave. We know that the German church is repentant, but the fruit of Finkenwalde and this seminary has helped shape the vision of Christian discipleship and helped millions of people follow Jesus around the world. That was stronger. So Bonhoeffer was right. This must be stronger than that. Our discipleship to Jesus must be stronger than our cultural formation. (laughs) So look, 2020 has been notable for, for a lot of reasons. This is notably different than any other year in modern history. Uh, The pandemic, the shutdowns, sickness and death, racial tensions that we've all, Live through, divisive politics of our day, difficult economics, like all of these have made 2020 notably different. But all of that stuff was forced on us. 2021 also has the opportunity to be a notably different kind of year. But we can choose the reasons why. We can choose why 2021 is notably different. We can decide what will be stronger in 2021. This can be stronger than that. So much stuff happened this year, and no doubt about it, it could keep us all hostage. The, the grief and, and the, the worry, the anxiety, the depression, the anger, the hatred that our society has experienced. Let's just decide, one chapel, we can decide that our commitment to Jesus will be stronger than that, that our discipleship to Jesus will be stronger than whatever else is going on around us. So let's decide that we're going to remember today who we are as the people of God. We follow Jesus. So what that means is we don't allow our past to dictate what our future is going to be. We belong to God himself, and he can bring things back from the dead. So we don't have to let the fear from 2020 lead us into 2021. We can actually just decide we're going to be led by God himself. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the scriptures. We've got the community of Jesus surrounding us. We can do this. You and I are called to be notably different. Notably, actually, is an interesting word. It means in a way that is striking or remarkable. A way that is striking or remarkable. We are called to be different in a way that stands out, that's striking to people. So what we're going to do over the course of the next several weeks is we're going to spend some time redefining 2021 and who we're going to be. And so that's the question, everybody. Who will I be in 2021? 2021. Who am I going to be this year? Now, if you're like me, you're saying, oh, that sounds pretty good. Like sign me up for that. Yes, by all means, let's define me. Let's get to work and decide who I'm going to be. But you already know it's easier said than done because we've all had to wrestle with our own identity. We've all been through struggles through junior high and high school specifically of our identity. We've all had to wrestle with inaccurate views of who God has made us to be. And all of us have these scripts that go on through our minds. All of us have recordings that play in our heads of who we are. You've heard words from family members saying, this is who you are. Friends, maybe it was a teacher or a a pastor or a boss. And we often allow those wrong words to define us who we really are, and determine our story. I can tell you when I was in college, <laughs> I had a moment where this happened to me. We were, I was on the worship team, and so we sang this song, an old song by a group some of you may know by the name of DC Talk. DC Talk had a song called In the Light. It was written by Charlie Peacock. So we sing this song in one of the chapel services. There's, you know, around maybe 4,000 students in the chapel service. And I have a part that I sing. So we got to this little bridge part, and, and it's this fun little part. It says, honesty becomes me. And then there's Kevin Smith does this little whisper part. There's nothing left to lose, right? And so I was doing that part. It was tongue-in-cheek. I was messing around. We were kind of joking. And so I went through that whole little section, and I did some movements in the thing. And, and so when we finished that bridge, the entire student body, normally stoic, stood to their feet in applause. It was a different time, people. We were easily entertained. But they stood to their feet in applause and said, that was the greatest thing we've ever seen. They didn't get out much. But what happened was, then I became known as the whisper guy. Everywhere I went around campus, people just said, hey, aren't you the whisper guy? Yeah, yeah, that that was me. That was fun, wasn't it? Hey, hey everybody, it's the whisper guy. Hey, did you guys see the whisper guy? Everybody called me the whisper guy. And I was like, I have a name. I have a name. My name is Brent. Get to know me. I have interests and likes. All I was known for was this one thing, just whispering. Now, I know it's a silly example, but that's how it happens. Certainly, there's more serious examples in your life. People have told you, you're no good. You don't matter. You'll never accomplish anything. You're worthless. What's wrong with you? But wait a second. We are followers of Jesus. We've decided that we're going to let go of our views of who we are. We've decided to let go of our identities and take on God's view of who we are. That means that we're willing to let go of all the ways that we've identified ourselves or the ways people have identified us, regardless of how hurtful and difficult they've been. So, we ditch those labels as followers of Jesus. All the labels that we've allowed to attach to us. So, so you say, "I'm not worthless." I can't be worthless. Jesus gave his life for me. I have great value because my life was worth Jesus. See, we're notably different because we actually believe we are who God says we are. So I want you to say it with me. I'm a child of God. I've been rescued and redeemed. I've been set free. I am holy because of Jesus. I'm an overcomer. I am blessed and highly favored. I am deeply loved by God. Come on, somebody. Where's David Campos when I need him? See, here's the thing. Identity separates Christianity from other religions because other religions, they'll have a process that you got to go through where you try to achieve your identity. You got to do some good deeds. You, there's works-based works acceptance. There's higher levels of consciousness that I have to try to attain. Even the secular worldview of our culture embraces this idea that you choose your own identity, whatever that means for you. You get to decide, and you're going to work to achieve it. Man, I'm just telling you, that's a lot of pressure. Like, I don't know if I want to be responsible for all of that. So when you follow Jesus, your identity is received. It's not achieved. When you decide to give your life to Jesus, you receive an identity from him. You don't have to achieve anything. When you surrender to Jesus, his identity becomes yours. The scriptures call that being in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is a notable idea, and it makes a notable difference in how we live, especially when you consider what John wrote in 1 John 2, 6, where he says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, for most of us, that doesn't seem possible. You're like, okay, fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe I can love Jesus. I guess I can believe in Jesus. I might even be able to give Jesus a little follow. But to live like he did, yeah, man, I'm out. I don't think I can do that. But you can. This is the reason that we're notably different. Look how Paul talks about this in Romans 1 in the message. He says, The sacred writings contain preliminary reports by the prophets on God's Son. His descent from David roots him in history. His unique identity as a son of God was shown by the Spirit when Jesus was raised from the dead, setting him apart as the Messiah, our master. Through him, we have received both the generous gift of his life and the urgent task of passing it on to others who receive it by entering into obedient trust in Jesus. You are who you are through this gift and call of Jesus Christ. You are who you are because of Jesus through his gift, the call that he's given. But the next question for me is, all right, how does that happen? How do I get, how does that happen to me? Well, let's take a look for a second at how Jesus understood and received identity from his father. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Did you notice what the father said here? He says, this is my son. He gives Jesus his identity. This is who he is. Has nothing to do with anything that he's done so far. He's just my son. That's his identity. Whom I love. This is validation. This is, he's not just my son. Actually, he's my beloved son. And then he says, with him, I'm well pleased. So it's not just that he's affirmed Jesus, given him an identity. He says, no, 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 I express pleasure about him. I love him. He's incredible. Like the amazing thing to me is, is that all of this happened in the life of Jesus before the father said anything and there was any recorded public ministry. Like the father came and said this before Jesus had done anything. He had, there, there no, nothing else has been recorded so far. And so we've just kind of seen him growing up. And Jesus says, it's not based on that. It's based on who you are. It's based on me and what I've given you. So Jesus started his earthly ministry understanding who he was and who he belonged to. Listen, the same thing is true of you when you're born again and you decide that you're going to follow Jesus. You become a new creation. God changes your identity. He validates you with his love and he affirms his pleasure for you. So what happens when you do this is just like Jesus, we get to live from approval rather than for approval. And I know that that means something for some of you because you've spent your life trying to gain approval. Jesus says, you can live from my approval rather than trying to gain it. And this is a struggle for some of us, but it's a game changer when you get it. Some of you are thinking, but I haven't done anything for God. I've done nothing But that's the wonder of being in Christ. That's the incredible reality of this story and having a new identity. It has nothing to do with the good works that you may or may not have done. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are deeply loved. God is pleased with you as you follow him. Because when God looks at you, he sees through the love and sacrifice of Jesus. Some of you need to live into that. This is great news, everybody. It's good news. Jesus understood this and he lived out his purpose from there. He knew that he was here as God's servant. Yes, God himself, servant to rescue the world. I mean, if only we could get this, if only we could believe it and receive it and live in it, that we are here in Christ for that same purpose, to make disciples, to to bring his kingdom to every sector of our society and every part of our world. But right after this affirmation from the Father, this clarity of Jesus' purpose, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted to violate what God has just said to him. So as we start to receive this, I want you to realize that the same thing often happens to you and me. Like we face temptations every single day and at critical moments of decision. Yeah, they might vary from what Jesus experiences here in these following verses, but but they have the same point. It's not just about trying to entice us to sin. This is about distraction. This is trying to turn us away from the path that we started on when we were baptized in Jesus. The enemy will do everything possible to try to thwart God's purpose for you. I like how N.T. Wright says it. He says, If we've heard God's voice welcoming us as his children, we will also hear the whispered suggestions of the enemy. That's just the reality that happens as you follow Jesus. So look at the story that happens here, and you'll be familiar with it in Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is right after he's baptized and receives this affirmation. After 40 days, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, hey, everybody, just like Jesus, you're going to be tempted from time to time to question your identity. The devil says, if you're the son of God, he takes aim at Jesus' identity. He dares him to prove himself by by doing something that frankly he could have easily done by turning uh, stones into bread. And so the devil dares him, use your power. Think about it this way. Use your identity just use it in the wrong way. Serve yourself. Don't trust God. Don't trust the leading of his spirit to feed you. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he, he responds from Deuteron- Deuteronomy 8, three In defiance, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus embraces his identity by trusting the Father's word, by believing in what the Father has already said. And he knows he'll receive so much more provision than just feeding his current hunger. So Jesus chooses obedience and trust and reliance on God the Father. Now, you and I often face the same temptation provide for yourself, do it for yourself, trust yourself, use your own power to get what you want. You can do this. Like, take matters into your own hands, make a name for yourself, tear down that person, climb the ladder get ahead of everybody else don't wait do it now step on them get where you need to go we decide for ourselves who we should be and we pursue it on our own rather than waiting on god to lead us to where he wants us to be and he's already determined for us we disobey rather than trusting what god has done and said about us let's continue on with the story in matthew chapter 4 verse 5 the devil took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So like Jesus, you will be tempted from time to time to act out of a false self. You'll be tempted to be somebody that you weren't meant to be. This second temptation, it's about more than protection and, and jumping off of the temple. It's for Jesus to take control of his ministry with public spectacle. Hey, Jesus, show how special you are to God and instantly draw people to yourself. Like, be somebody. But that wasn't the plan. That wasn't his purpose. And Jesus refuses it. He refuses to be who he wasn't meant to be, to act out of some false self. He refuses to do that. Jesus chooses the kingdom way. Jesus chooses hiddenness. Jesus chooses the wilderness. Jesus chooses solitude. He chooses prayer. His identity is secure. That's why he can do it. His confidence comes from God's deep love for him. So he, he, he can't, he can trust God to lead him. He can trust God to do that work and to draw people to him. And you and I got to make the same choices, everybody. We aren't going to live for others' approval. We're not going to act like we're somebody we're not. And it creeps up on you faster than you realize. You know it. Because when we were all driving to church often, you would do it. You'd drive to church and you have a massive fight with your wife in the car. You're yelling at each other. You're screaming, I can't believe you'd do that. Why did it take you so long to get ready? Now we're going to be late. And look at the kids. They look ridiculous. And you're fighting all the way there. In fact, you're walking through the parking lot. And on the way through the, the parking lot, on the way to the door, you're still throwing glances. Oh, I can't believe. Muttering under your breath. I can't believe you did it. And then you walk in the door of the church. Hallelujah, brother. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't it so good to be here? Hello, brother. Hello, sister. God bless you. Right? It happens quickly. You put on a front You put on a face, you make it through the service, and then you pull out of the parking lot, you hit that first little traffic, and then, oh, it's all back again. (laughs) I know how it is. Why? I've experienced it myself. (laughs) No more false selves, everybody. We're going to be honest about who we are and where we are. And if we're not where we should be or where we feel like God has called us to be or where we want to be yet, it's okay. We're honest about that, and we're going to open up and tell people. You know what? In a few weeks, we're going to have groups that are opening up all across of our campuses and online, and I'm just challenging you, get into a group and live this out. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, continuing the story. The third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and they attended him. So just like Jesus, you're going to be tempted from time to time to take some shortcuts. See, I believe that Jesus already knew who he was. I believe that Jesus knew that he was already the Lord of the nations. The devil was just offering a little shortcut. And you think about it, it had to be enticing. Don't you think? It had to be tempting to take it, like to avoid the way of the cross, to take up the way of convenience. Surely he was thinking, I wonder. He could have bypassed the servant role and taken the role of sovereign, but, but what would have happened is it would have been incomplete. It would have not have accomplished everything that he was called to do. The same temptations, I think, apply to us. Hey, can I just take the easy road to my destiny and identity? Like, can I just get, the, I mean, can I just go to church every couple of weeks, man? Like, what if I just, what if I read the Bible every, eh, you know, month or so and, I think I'm, I'm probably going to get there. Listen, there are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. Yeah, there are immediate miracles. There are some sudden healings. There are, there's instantaneous forgiveness for everybody. But there are no shortcuts for spiritual formation. No shortcuts for character development. No shortcuts for walking out our identity. And that goes for everybody that you're connected to and disciple as well. Everything takes a lot longer than we want it to, to become secure in our identity. So how do we do this? How do we walk this out? How do we resist the temptations over our identity? Certainly we see pictures from Jesus here, right? He, he kept scripture in his heart. We need to do that. You need to know how to use it. You got to trust God for everything. You got to say a firm no to the voices that try to lure you away. But Jesus shows us the way with another defiant quote taken from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. And we find it in verse 10 of Matthew 4. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Hey, everybody, I want you to realize this today. Worship reinforces your identity. Worship reinforces your identity because worship is the ex- exaltation of God and it's the humbling of yourself. I like it to say like this, worship, it reinforces your identity, and worship is the instant right sizing of you. When you come before God, it instantly puts things into perspective. God, you are big and grand and vast and marvelous and true, and I am not. I am your servant. So when you worship, what happens is you can't get too big. You can't get too big and think that you're amazing. You can't be something that you're not when you come before God because you realize how vast and grand and wonderful he is. Nor when you worship, can you come and feel like a lowly worm because as you're worshiping, God is working in you. You are in Christ and you realize, oh, I have value. God actually loves me. Worship is the instant right sizing of you. That's why it's so important. (laughs) One of the many reasons. Worship is one of the most identity-shaping activities for us as Jesus followers. So what Jesus is saying here is, my identity and my purpose and my perspective for life, it's found in the worship of the Lord my God. And I'm just going to choose to serve him and obey him. So Jesus could withstand all of these temptations. He could withstand it because his identity was secure. Same thing can happen to you. Knowing who we are gives us strength to resist temptation and the devil's schemes. And if you need some more of that, I'm just telling you, worship is the place to go. So here's the question as we close today. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And the answer depends on how you answer these two questions. What's really true about God? Who is he really? What has he really done? And what is really true? True about you? And a bunch of us aren't really great at answering that question. A.W. Tozer is the one who says, What comes into our minds when we think about God? It's the most important thing about us. He continues on to say, Worship is pure or it's base. It's high and good or it's lowly as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. What do you think about God? And what do you think about you? Because I can tell you that God has good thoughts about you? Do you believe God is who he says he is? Do you believe that what he says about you is true and right? Do you believe that you can be in Christ? Because what's true about Jesus, when you follow him, it becomes true of you. If you're struggling with this, actually we're going to drop a link in the comments right now, and there's going to be a pdf I want you to click the link. I want you to grab the PDF, and it's got some scriptures that are going to tell you who you are in Christ. And I want to encourage/slash challenge you to read through those this week, and to pray through those, and to keep reciting and memorizing and praying those scriptures throughout this week, and let God do a work in you, help you realize who He is and who you really are. Look how Eugene Peterson says this in, in the Message Version in Galatians chapter two: "I've been crucified with Christ." My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or I have your good opinion and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living, it's not mine, but it's lived by faith in the son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. The life that you see me living, it's not mine, it's his. And this is the life that you're called to. And this is the life that you can live every day. My life is crucified. Jesus lives in me. And what's in me is stronger than whatever our culture has to offer. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, would you just take a minute, pause, bow your head, and let's pray over this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reality. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we thank you that when we surrender to you, you put your identity into us. Many of us are struggling with that right now. So I pray for everybody that's listening, everybody worshiping with us today, everybody praying with us right now. God, to every open and willing heart, would you put your identity into them? Would you continue to do a work on us throughout this week? Help us to follow you. We want our discipleship to be stronger than our cultural formation. So start here with this identity. And as we read the scriptures this week, would you speak to us? Would you grow your identity in us? Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. The very best way we know how. We're surrendering to you in this way. We love you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody at home said, amen. Amen. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being here. So good to have you. Don't forget to grab that PDF, read through it and pray through it every day this week and watch what happens. Hey, let's have a notably different 2021. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everybody. Have a great Sunday.